gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the Hello and welcome back to the Gathering the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, I'm Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy and I'm joined today by Mark. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Mark Tarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. Uh, we knew this week was going to be a little rough, but uh, a lot of news to talk about, a lot of performance stuff to talk about, so uh, let's get into it. Yeah, um, we're recording this off the back of Aston Villa's 3-0 defeat to Manchester City. And, you know, Villa Villa came into this game with, with you know a bit of hope that they could actually get something from the game even though it was against one of Europe's top sides, never mind one of the top sides in England. Yeah, I, I did have a lot of big hope coming into this game. I thought with City's a uh, little bit of defensive woes as far as injuries go and things like that, we had you know a little bit to take. I think that City have shown they're susceptible on the counter, and that's exactly what Dean Smith tried to do. I mean, we talked about it on the previous podcast. That's probably one of the things that Dean Smith is going to roll out to uh, to employ against teams, especially some of the bigger teams. But I didn't, I didn't think Villa looked like you know at any point in the game like they were going to roll over. I think it was more like a mental lapse sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the first 15 or so minutes were were all Man City really, but you know, Villa looked pretty up to the task. They looked like they could they could handle whatever was going to be thrown at them. Um Frederick Gilbert in particular looked pretty up for the challenge of taking care of Raheem Sterling on that uh, on that right-hand side. And you know, you've got to give credit to the Frenchman, you know, Raheem Sterling's one of the most informed players over the last like, you know, 12 months. He's he's unplayable at the moment and and Gilbert kind of handled him well enough for the uh, the the first I don't know 40 or 40 45 minutes yeah I think there's a lot to say about Frederick Gilbert Gilbert's game going into this um I guess it, it was kind of one of those that like you see him go forward a lot and you see him you know want to contribute offensively so I think this was a big test for him to show what he can do defensively and I think he did a pretty good job I mean it wasn't anything breathtaking but it was definitely steady and Raheem Sterling like what a player and we all know it uh, he, he's just you just never know what he's going to do or you know you know what he's capable of but it, it's the task to stop it and that's that's one of the hardest things but I think Gilbert looked pretty good you know going up against him and I, I don't think he you know put in a bad account of himself whatsoever.
Yeah, and that's the experience of Tom Heaton coming into play, knowing that he had an opportunity to, to get it away to break on the other end. And like I said, I, I think that was the game plan. I think it was, hey, you know, Ben, don't break. And if you can hit him on the counter, go ahead. And Villa had their chances to do it. It was just that, you know, third to the final ball that wasn't really working out. Or maybe it was a case of just, like I said, a little bit of like mental lapses. Um, I don't think it, it was a case that Villa players didn't have it physically or stamina wise that they weren't going to be able to get forward. I think they tried to. They just couldn't spring with enough numbers or there would be a pass that, you know, was, was taken care of by a city defender or midfielder. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think the the performance from Tom Heaton, again, and just how he is, and I know it's a 3-0 loss and everything, but I think with Tom Heaton, it just shows the experience a little bit to want to spring Villa forward and want to counterattack as much as they possibly can from the back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, like Burnley fans said when we signed him, you know, he, he will win us points on his own. We're only, what, nine, ten games into the season. Um, so... You know, I, I, I'm, I still believe we're yet to see the best of Tom Heaton, and he has made some pretty spectacular saves. Um, but you know, the, the first half ended nil nil, and you know there was a real hope going into the second half that you know we were maybe going to get something from this game. Um, but you know, the, the one thing that stood out for me was the uh, the commentary of the game. And they were talking about how Aston Villa are uh, yet to uh, concede whilst away from home in the first half. Um, and they kept playing on this and they kept saying, but they've conceded like, I don't know, 11 goals or whatever it was before this game in the second half. Um, and, you know, initially like Villa didn't roll over, you know, did 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 this give you hope, or you know, were you the same? Were you listening to the commentary and going, mm, "Okay, this is making me a little bit nervous"? Uh, the commentary made me feel a little bit nervous, but but it wasn't a lack. I, I don't think what those kind of stats are like willing or conjuring. You know, the opposite to happen. I mean, after the first half, I was I was really happy with it because we've seen other clubs that you know go to the go to City and you know they they ship four goals <laughs> within the first like twenty minutes, and that that was that would that was. Probably one of the things that I was most worried about was going into this game by 35th, 40th minute being completely blown out and the game's the game's dead and it's over with. Um, so for Villa to put in a good account of themselves in the first 45 minutes and go into that room, you know, all nil, I think that was a massive, massive thing. Um, obviously, we know the second half didn't go the way we wanted it to. But as far as a first half performance, I mean, that that's pretty, that's about as complete as you can get going up against one of the top two, three teams in all of England. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the first half was up there with one of the stronger performances against uh, you know a top, uh, let's say a top six side, but you know it, it didn't last long. And only twenty three seconds into the second half, uh, Gabriel Jesus beat Tyrone Mings to a header, managed to find Raheem Sterling, um, which you know it was Bjorn Engels was slightly at fault for this because he was he was way out of position. And Sterling just breezes past Engels and fires through Tom Heaton's legs. Yeah, and, and you hated to see it. I think it was one of those cases that Tyron Mings, it, it, and again, no one's immune to criticism, but in, in the nicest way, like Tyron Mings got to stop thinking he's got to do it all himself sometimes. Um, and I know that's probably in his nature to want to be that guy, and we've seen it before that he can do it. But I think on this specific play, like <laughs> the big man's got to get up and do what he does best, and he just missed it, and it ended up being a goal. I mean, Ingles, again, was out of position too. So, you know, it was one of those things where we don't, we haven't really seen the center back pairing make 
like crucial, crucial mistakes like this. Um, it's a shame that it happened against City. It's a shame that it happened coming off, you know, nil-nil going into halftime. It's a shame that it happened 23 seconds into the second half as well. But I mean, you can't really criticize it because these guys haven't had terrible games as, as a as a pair. So I mean, it, it is disappointing to see from Tyrone at the same point in time. It's City, and that's that's what they do. Ederson has a rocket coming out of the back, and it just all worked out for him on on this specific pattern. So I don't know. I, I do feel I do feel for Mings that he got beat out on the header. But again, Ingles got to be in a better place as well. Do you, do you think that maybe they were still you know in their heads maybe they were still in the dressing room kind of um, they didn't expect like such a such an early attack maybe I think so I think it was just a mental lapse to be honest and I, I'm not saying that with any you know I don't say that lightly I mean I want all the time as well as everybody does this team to be locked in but I think when you can see the goal 23 seconds in I, I think that maybe it was just a bit of I don't want to say laziness it wasn't lazy it was. It was just slack. It was just slack defending all around. I mean, you got to know they had the game plan to know that Ederson was going to eventually get an opportunity to just punt that ball forward and, and see what happens. And I just think there was three or four instances in that very short pattern of play that could have been stopped one way or the other. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it was anything to be worried about or be concerned about. I think it was just City knowing what they were going to do and came out of the room and decided, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to throw this away. We we got to start getting something going here. Yeah, I mean, the, the the thing for me was that it, it just it just happened so quickly, and you know, Ty, obviously the mistake from Tyrone Mings, um, you know, I, I think everyone thinks he could have done better there, but just look, you know, ten minutes later, he was once once again the hero for Villa. Um, Engels made a poor pass that gifted Gabriel Jesus a one on one against Tom Heaton, and. Um, Jesus kind of fired at Heaton and it like bounced under like from his underarm um and then up towards towards the uh, the goal and luckily Tyrone Mings was there and he made an exceptional goal on clearance to to keep the score one nil. Um, you know, how impressive was this clearance? You know, was was it, you know, bread and butter for the defender or do you think, you know, it, it was something that needs to be praised? I think it's definitely something that needs to be praised anytime you're going against a, a team that is obviously very, very favored and you make a goal line clearance. I, I think that's massive. And I, I was at the time I remember saying it out, you know, I said it out loud, like that's the spark we needed. Like you have you have to be able to gather a, a little bit of want when something like that happens. And I really did think that it was going to kick the uh, Villa players on. It didn't have, you know, that that kind of effect. I mean, we saw it a little bit, but it wasn't to the point that I thought it was going to be. But I mean, the legend of Tyra Mings continues at Villa Park and it, it's not going away anytime soon. And when you put your body on the line like Tyra does and you do things like this with a goal line clearance, I mean, it's... You, you can't understate how much he means to that defense, even with having an error, even with having, you know, a pretty bang average game, you know, as far as what we've seen from him this season and even back last year when he was on loan. Um, yeah, but I, I think that's absolutely incredible. And the athleticism shown, the awareness to just be intelligent enough to know that you have to get your ass back there and, get, and stop this ball from, from reaching the back of the net, I think is huge. Yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag from Tyrone, in my opinion. You know, he, he had the best the best passing accuracy across the whole of the back four, with a eighty nine percent, and he managed eleven interceptions, uh, eight clearances, and two blocks. But he also lost the ball five times in his own half, and you know, generally with with a defender, you're losing it pretty close to the goal. 
and you know that that's an issue that you know City are known for their press, they're known for their passing, and I, I just don't think our defense could handle that press. Yeah, I don't either. And City does it all kind of different ways. It isn't like there's one you know game plan. I mean, they almost switched their game plan up three or four times. I saw it in the in the uh, first forty five that you know there was times where they knew when to press, when not to press, when to control the midfield, when not to, when to look for overlapping fullbacks, when not to. It's honestly like Pep has that team playing like a song, and I know they have their issues, and they don't seem as dominant as they have in years past. But still, I mean, it's still Pep Guardiola. It's still world class talent all over the pitch. I mean, we saw it with Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, he, come on, that's that's an absolute crazy, crazy player they got on their hands there. And I, I've watched De Bruyne for a long time, and even I don't know. It's it's not even a fact of jealousy. It's just respect for a player. And I don't know how someone watches Kevin Durant. Kevin DeBryan and play the game of football and not like him for his talent alone. So I just think there's just so much going on there. And I, I don't know with the defense, it's, it, it's not even a thing that I need to say it needs to be sorted. Cause it doesn't, I just think it's, Hey, we didn't have the quality on the day and that, that's okay to admit, you know, we're not, we weren't never going to come up to the premier league and be this, you know, top six team. It wasn't going to happen. So, you know, it's a young squad. They got to keep learning and there's no better learning curve than, you know, getting beat three, nil by city. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Um, but, you know, speaking of Kevin De Bruyne, he was involved in a bit of a VAR drama as he uh, placed a whipped cross past everyone except David Silva, or so it seemed. Um, there was a lengthy VAR check in regards to whether Raheem Sterling was offside uh, for this goal and whether he was blocking Tom Heaton's vision of the ball. Um, an ind- independent tribunal awarded Raheem Sterling, uh, no, David Silva, the goal after the game had ended. Um, but... Raheem, which would mean that Raheem was an active player and basically offside. Um, so VAR should have actually, uh, you know, rescinded that goal. It's it's starting to get a bit silly now, isn't it? Like how how is VAR continually won against Villa, and how does it keep getting things wrong? I, I saw, of all people, I saw Peter Crouch right before we started recording. There's there's a video out there, and he says, you know, he he watches all these different leagues. And he sees, like, in the German league, like, the referee will run over to a video screen. And, so, and it's happened more than a couple times. I think he said it was, like, 40 or 45 times the German in the German league this year. Referees had to go over to a, to a, a screen to look at it. Um, why, why isn't that happening in the Premier League? Do you know why, why that isn't happening? They just don't have the screen? They they want to avoid it because of uh, the the time that it takes. The the screen is available, but they want to avoid it. But um, I read something earlier that their their Premier League managers or Premier clubs are uh, set to vote on whether they want uh, referees to more actively or re- more active use of the screen, rather. Um, which I, ho- I hope all the clubs vote for, if I'm honest. Yeah, I bet all the money in my bank account right now that it'll be unanimous and every single coach that's in the Premier League will vote for the screen being used a lot more. Um, I think that the screen should be a middleman between the ref on the field and VAR. I don't think the VAR should be able to automatically overturn it. You have to keep this game in the referee's hands, and no matter what happens on the pitch, if it goes to you or goes against you, as far as, you know, if was it a foul, was it not? You know, decisions are decisions at the end of the day, but I think we need to leave that up to the ref on the field. I think VAR should only step in when it's a clear and obvious infraction. That's that's what they've talked about. So um, taking the screen out and not allowing the ref to go back and see if he made a mistake on his own with no VAR in his ear, I, I just I just think that would that would help the game out a little bit. We talked about it last podcast. I can I could talk about it all day. I don't like it. It's gotta be changed. But you know, when is that change coming? 
How are they going to change it? I hope they introduce the screen. I hope the Premier League managers do get to vote on that. And I hope that we just have a better system. I just, I know it's not going to happen this season. We're going to have to wait till next season. Well, the the use of the screen would almost nullify VAR. So, you know, because at the moment they're making decisions. They're saying, no, it's a penalty. Whereas with the use of the screen, they will speak to the referee and say, okay, John, we, we need you to go and check this. We think there might have been a handball. Can we have your opinion on this? And then he will go and look at the screen and go, oh, actually, yeah, I missed that. And it'll be his decision still. Um, so, you know, it makes it more... One, I think, more exciting because the, the way that the, this was used in the uh, the World Cup of, in Russia, I found quite entertaining. Um, and two, I think it makes it a lot fairer and a lot less of, like, you know, controversial. Because, you know, VAR might try and overturn a referee, referee might try and ignore VAR, etc., etc. So I think this just makes it all round a, a better experience for both the players the teams and the referee yeah and don't and don't rule out that it means a lot for the supporters as well i mean another thing from that that crouchy video i saw before we started recording uh, i think they said something that took two minutes 15 seconds from uh taking a decision I, I i think it was the arsenal game at the end of the arsenal game but it was two minutes 15 seconds from the time the foul actually happened to the actual result from var and nobody in the uh, stadium knew what was going on like there was nothing shown on the screen. They didn't know what was going on whatsoever. I mean, the supporters are just as important in this as, as the coaches, as the players, as the staff of everything. So I, I just, it's got to be worked on. And I do think that the screen would help out a lot, but, you know, they can't shy away from that. I just, I, I, I don't know how this isn't looked at unanimously through the FA that this isn't working. And like, obviously you're not gonna be able to stop it mid season, but I really hope that there's something going on behind the scenes where they're looking at this, like, man, we really screwed this up. Like we didn't think about half of these problems we were going to have. It just sounded good in theory. And it, it, and VAR does sound good in theory, but you're going to have to make it so that it's, you know, you can't, you can't have VAR embarrassing your game. And that's exactly what's happening. And it's not just a Villa thing. You know, we've had more than enough instances that haven't gone our way, but it's far beyond that. It's a league thing. And, and if it's a league thing in the Premier League, then it's a football thing. And if it's a football thing, it's got to be changed. It's it's It just has to be for me. Yeah, but like you've already said, it's it's whether it comes this season or not. Um, but but let's, let's move back to the Man City game. And, you know, after this whole VAR controversy, it was only three minutes after the, the restart that, uh, that Villa found themselves 3-0 down. And this was Ilkay Gundogan. Um, Bjorn Engels once again made a pretty subpar clearance that led to the goal. And really, we haven't seen a bad game from Engels all season. And it was kind of a bad time for the Belgians to have it. Um, you know, he struggled in ground and aerial duels. He won, I think, two out of six uh, ground duels and one out of four aerial duels. Um, and he also lost the ball five times and twice in his own half. And for the vast majority of the season, the centre-back partnership has looked pretty steady, but both of them seem to struggle a bit against Manchester City. Do you think this is a bit of like a testament of how good they are when they've only really struggled against a team like City? I do think that's the case. I, I'm I'm all right um, with Mings and Ingles looking just a little bit over average against the top, top teams of the league uh, in my guesstimation, that means that they should look pretty damn good against the rest of the pack. Um, I, I, like you just said, Mings and Ingles haven't had a bad showing when they're when they're paired together. Uh, and 
I think that's something – I definitely think they're the center back pair to go forward. I'm not saying one knee's dropped or you, you bench one or whatever. I mean, we may see some rotation in the back line for the Wolves game, but we'll get on to that in a little bit. Um, I think as good as Mings and Ingles are for Aston Villa, again, this is just a learning curve this entire season. This is a young squad, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I've banged the drum about that enough. But they just both didn't have their best games, and that's okay because – if I mean, I, I did feel that we could get something out of the City game with what they've got going on at the moment, but it's not the end of the world that we didn't. And, you know, picking up back-to-back wins before going on to this absolutely hellacious week that Villa have in, in terms of games they're going to play, I, I just think that it, it's okay. It's okay for them to have a game in which they're not very good and lose 3-0 to City. I, I don't think that it's the end of the world whatsoever. I saw some supporters really upset about it, and I get it, man. Like, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Manchester City as, as a club. Um I love their players. I can say that. I really do love watching them play. They're entertaining, you know, to watch and everything. But um, I, I wanted them to win, but they didn't. But I don't think you need to start, you know, thinking about what's going on with the defense or anything like that. This is a learning thing. Let these guys learn. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's been a lot of hot takes after this game. And predominantly about Wesley. Um We'll speak about Wesley a bit later on, but you know that's the whole thing about the Premier League. And it happened in the Championship as well. But people just... Don't think critically when they're, you know, in the midst of a game or just after a game. Straight away, it's just like, nah, this person is bad, or nah, we didn't perform well, or stuff like that. And that's why that's why we try and uh, use the lamplight articles. Um, so I, I go through all the stats from from a player's game and I pick out the best of the good ones and the the worst of the bad ones and try and level out mainly you know in a game like this I'll try and level out whether you know for example um, Douglas Luis had a bad game or a good game you know at face value it might have seemed like he had a really good game but then you look at the stats and it might be that he just had an average game and that's what I try and do with those articles so it's it's a case of you know looking at this game and thinking we held one of the best teams in Europe for 45 minutes um, and there's learning curves to be found from the, the final 45 and you know these players are all young and they're all eager and they're all hungry and they're going to learn and they're willing to learn. Yeah, and they're going to get better. That's just how that's how any sport works. The, the more you apply your trade, the more you're going to learn about it. You know, and you're going to get experience, and experience means that you're going to, you know, just uh, stack and compound on top of the talent that you possess. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit I've posted hot takes after a game. I've posted hot takes during a game. You know, there's there's times where you know I'll post something, and then an hour after the game, look back on what I posted. Like, come on, man, you didn't really mean that. What are you doing? It's a human thing, and I get it. But at the same point in time, like you can't start. I don't know, slagging players off for losing three 0 to City. I, I saw uh, you know a couple, you know, people that I follow. Just it's almost seemed like they're beside themselves, or it was just such a knee jerk hot take that they were just angry, and you can tell that they really, really wanted something out of the game. And I love that passion. I would never fault anybody for that kind of passion. But you almost have to take a deep breath every once in a while and realize that you know Aston Villa isn't the team that a lot of people they you know Villa's everything to them and that's 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 great and I get it uh, you know I, I'm, I'm in the same same boat right there with you I got an oar in my hand the fact of the matter is though you can't start slagging players off just to slag players off um, yeah we've seen bad performances we've seen really good performances from us everybody that's in and around the starting 11 right now 
Um, but yeah, just being upset about losing three nil to city. I don't think that's going to do anything except just maybe make you even more angry and you just need to get it out again. I totally understand that. But again, this is, uh, this is what we wanted. We got a young, talented team. We spent money to get a young, talented team. They're going to grow together. Sure. One or two players aren't going to make it and they might not be on the squad in the next three to five years. But as of right now, you have to get behind this team. Losing 3-0 three, three to City away from home is not the worst thing that's going to happen to Aston Villa this season. So I, I don't know. I, I think it is, it is what it is. I mean, you know, the, the important thing for me was to not be embarrassed. And especially coming off the back of Leicester City's 9-0 demolition of Southampton, you know, a 3-0 defeat to the reigning champions is is nothing. Um, but let's, let's get back to the game. And... Th- I can't recall a game in the last probably five or six games where the opposition haven't had a red card. Um, Fernandinho was sent off for the citizens in the 82nd minute, um, but you know it, it was it was done and dusted by then. Um, perhaps more importantly was the fact that Jack Grealish was subbed off before the full time whistle and was seen on crutches in the tunnel after the game. Yeah, and that's not a good thing. And I'm almost mad at myself because of the last podcast we had a discussion about what happens if Jack gets an injury or, you know, suspended for one reason or another, accumulation of cards or things like that. Um, we don't really know the extent of what's going on with Jack's injury. Uh, they had Richard O'Kelly today on the official Aston Villa YouTube channel, a uh, little interview with him, and he, he seemed pretty pretty upbeat about Jack's injury. He said that, you know, Jack has you know, the, uh, the want and the care and the fire that courses through his body and, and he'll be just fine. Um, so, I mean, that's a positive if you're having somebody who's that close to the players saying that it's not that big of a deal. Uh, he was getting kicked around a fair bit and there were some rough, rough challenges on him, but yeah, the red card thing's weird, man. Like how, how many times are we going to play, you know, with, with a man advantage? And like, do you feel maybe like that's, that's Dean Smith football that we have so many talented players that the opposition has no other discourse other than the foul them? Um, I think that's the case with at least a few of our players. You know, it's it's the players that have that burst of energy in them. You know, it's Grealish, it's Nakamba, it's the midfield, really. I'd say the midfield and the wingers are, are just so tricky at times that, or just have that burst of energy to like push forwards that you know it, it can cause opposition problems and especially in Jack's case and sometimes John's case the the, they, the only way that they can stop them is by failing them yeah and McGinn definitely frustrates opponents and you can tell even when he's on the ball and even sometimes when he's off the ball I think people people are starting to get a little privy to the fact that he can use his body and use his backside really well so you're almost seeing uh, like midfielders, like mark him, maybe give him like a yard or two to see like where he's going to turn. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that the skill level of some of the Villa players is going to frustrate anybody. Um, and I, I think that some of the top tier teams don't really take that well and they get frustrated. So they get stuck in just a little bit more. And I, I don't know if that's something maybe due to like a game plan from the opposition or if it's just a natural thing that happens on the pitch of like, I'm so sick and tired of John McGinn running at me and I don't know what to do about it. Like I have to hack him down. I'll take the yellow if I, if it slows him down a little bit. And that that's a real thing. You know, players on the pitch do think about that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that there's a, a skill level there that opposition has a problem with when it comes to playing Aston Villa. Yeah, I, I, I want to kind of have a look at one player who impressed and one player who didn't. Um, and for me, the the player that impressed was Trezeguet. You know, I think he had a standout performance against City and, you know, he, he managed four shots. Um, only one was on target. 
or at least registered on target, but he had the highest XG out of all of our players. Um, but more impressively, despite his uh, short stature, he, he, he won 14 out of 27 duels and registered six successful dribbles out of a possible nine. And, you know, it wasn't just his offensive work either that that impressed. You know, he, he worked exceptionally hard defensively too and he made, you know, 10 interceptions and one block. And for a winger, that's 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 high. Um, you know, maybe you expect it from, from Jack or, you, you know, obviously you don't really expect it from the likes of Trezeguet or El Ghazi. And speaking of El Ghazi, you know, his, his form's very up and down. Do you think that Trezeguet's trying to make the the... the, the position his own I do think he's trying to make it his own and I think you can see that with how defensively astute he was against City um, he didn't have to be forward 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 against the likes of a team like Manchester City like you said making 10 interceptions is that is unusually high for a winger especially one with the skill set of Trezeguet so I think that Trez is smart enough to, to see that El Ghazi might be struggling a little bit. And again, competition for places is vital, especially in the Premier League. So I think with El Ghazi dropping to the bench and him getting the start, it was almost like a, a switch flipped on of like, hey, if I'm going to if I'm gonna keep this and I'm going to keep you know, getting consistent minutes, I'm, I'm going to have to do the things that El Ghazi has kind of, he's kind of shown this year. He doesn't really care much to be defensively responsible. So when you come out and play against Manchester City, of all teams with 10 interceptions, that definitely gives the boss a little bit of a look in your favor. Um, I don't think El Ghazi is capable of having that kind of defensive contribution. But at the same time, I don't think that that kind of defensive contribution is going to be needed every single week, week in and week out. Um, I think right now at the moment, it's Trezeguet's to lose. Uh, I believe, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you see him against... Wolves in midweek, but I definitely think you see him against um, against Liverpool. Yeah, I, th- I would have to agree with that. Who do you think was the most underwhelming player on the pitch? Uh, for me, it had to be Wesley, and, and it, it may start to seem like I, I'm just not a, a big fan of him. I am. I, I just need to see more from him. Uh, it was the second game in a row that he was pretty underwhelming. Uh, I believe he made 14 passes, uh, registered a 79% passing accuracy, attempted one shot and one dribble, and neither of them paid off. He didn't hit the net, and the dribble, he, he couldn't get past his man. Uh, just so much strength there, and there's so much promise, and, and there, you know, you can, you can, he just has glimpses of that he could do something, then doesn't, and then he, he doesn't run off the ball. I don't know. I mean, what, 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 what do you feel about him? What, what did you think about his performance against Manchester City? I think he was lost for large periods of the game and you could see him like slightly off camera like you know huffing and puffing and you could hear you know Dean Smith, Falkelly, Terry all shouting at him telling him to do things um, but the, the thing for, is for me he was touted as this you know player that that can hold up the ball and you know he, he's strong but he, he he's like as a as a general kind of performance indicator, he's not winning his duels. I think he won six of twenty-two uh, against um, Man City on the ground and two in five uh, aerial duels. And this is happening regardless of who we're playing and whether he's scoring or not. He's not winning his duels, and he's losing the ball an awful lot. I think he lost the ball nine times against City. Um, a question I want to raise to you, though, is, you know, we've got the midweek Carabao Cup match against Wolves at Villa Park. Do, do we start Codger? Do we start Davis? Or do we start Wesley? I think you start Keenan Davis. And the only reason I say you start Keenan Davis 
uh, is because of Wesley's poor form the, the past couple games, but also because I think Kaj is going to play off to the right. I just have that feeling. We saw it a lot in preseason, and it's just it's a shame he got that facial injury and has to wear the face mask and everything. But with Jonathan Kaja, I think that Dean sees him more as a winger kind of thing that like he's able to plug him in there for the striker or for maybe the right wing. Um, so I think Kaj stays on the bench. Um, but then again, I think Wesley does too. I just think that when Keenan Davis came on late in the stages against Manchester City, he showed more of a willingness to get forward, and he did hold the ball up well. And we know that Keenan Davis can do that. And everyone talks about Keenan Davis not being able to finish, but um, it, it's, it's not really a secret. Villa doesn't need him to finish. They just need him to hold up the ball so those wingers can cut inside, the midfielders can jump forward. And it, it's a very, very simple tactic, but you see some of the top, top teams in leagues all over the world employ this to where they have someone who can hold up the ball and wait for a little bit of help. Wesley has shown over the past few games now, he has a problem doing that. So if he has a problem doing that, and that wants to be something Dean Smith looks at, and I'm not saying he wants to look at it, I'm saying if he does, I think Keenan Davis has to get a shot here against Wolves. I think he has to show what he's going to do. And I think that Davis is going to have a fire lit under him if he does get the starting knot against Wolves. It's a Midlands rivalry. It's a big game. Um, I don't know. I just think Wes needs time to just chill. Just let, let him let him you know off the hook for this one. I'm not saying drop him completely out of the squad. You know, on the bench is fine. But let's, let's see what Keenan can do against a, a Wolves side who's probably going to rotate. See, for me, I would start Kodja. Um, against Wolves, and I would start Davis against Liverpool. I'd just like to see Kodja against, you know, I guess Premier League opposition. Even though they'll 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 likely feel the weakened side, because um, the only game that Kodja has re- really played significant minutes in is an under twenty three game, and he didn't impress in there. So I kind of want to get a proper look at how he can perform. Um, but speaking of the Wolves clash. They uh, Aston Villa play Wolves on Wednesday, and Wolves haven't lost a match in eight games, but have had some defensive woes to worry about. Um, Willie Bolly, who's a very, very gifted defender, has suffered a fractured fibula, and he's set to be sidelined for God knows how long. It's, it's going to be some time. Um, Wolves might rotate a bit, I guess, but you know it's it's most likely going to be a rough affair between two Midlands rivals. Um, they're coming off the back of a one-all draw to Newcastle, and they looked pretty frustrated um, in that game against Steve Bruce's Magpies. They did, and I got to watch all of that match. Um, it seemed like, I mean, it's it's Steve Bruce. We know how Steve Bruce plays the game, but um, yeah, it, as soon as as soon as uh, Newcastle pretty much parked their players. It wasn't 11 behind the ball, but I mean, there was a decent amount of players behind the ball. Wolves looked like they had no idea what to do. It almost looked like Villa with the man advantage. Like it was to that point, they were just like, um, we don't know what to do. We break out fast and, you know, we're pretty decent at set pieces. Like we don't know what to do with all this possession of the ball. So that's pretty much what happened with Wolves. Again, this side's going to be incredibly rotated, but they do have players in their team. I mean, you have you know, former Villa player Adama Traore, he's starting to come into a little bit of a patch of form. I'd look out for him if he does get the start. I'm not saying he will, but even if he comes on as a sub, that has to be something that has to be, you know, looked at. I mean, are there any other players for, you know, Wolves that, that you're looking out for in this game? I mean, obviously you've got Ruben Neves, but I, I, I find it hard to think that he's going to start because, you know, he was in a fair bit of pain after uh, his Longstaff's challenge. Uh, in the Newcastle game, so he might he might uh, see himself benched at least for this game, and of course you've got Raúl Jiménez who has uh, I think three goals and two assists to his name this season. Um, 
you know, they're, they're, they are a strong side. They are a talented side. And I think, you know, we have to be cautious going into this. Personally, I don't really care about the cup. I would much rather see us go out in the cup and, you know, survive in the Premier League. But it's the bragging rights. You know, a lot of fan, a lot of Villa fans will work with with Wolves fans. Um, I do personally. So you know, it's it's about that. You know, Thursday morning walking into work with a smile on your face and kind of you know, giving them the V's. Yeah, and and that's that's what you want. It's it's a it's a Midlands rivalry. And to be honest, if we were playing this against, I'm just gonna pull a team out of I don't know, Pompey. If we were playing Portsmouth, I I wouldn't care about this game. And not to say I want Aston Villa to win every single game. But like I, I think that the, the supreme focus has to be on the Premier League. It, 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 even still, even now, you have to maintain the thought that you stay up. I don't, I don't care about any kind of cup run whatsoever. That might not be a popular opinion. I don't care about it. I just don't. Not this year. I don't need it. I don't, I don't yearn for it. I don't think about like, oh, it'd be so great if you know Villa lift a trophy this year. Let's let's worry about that next season or the season after. This season right now is all about getting a concrete footing in the Premier League. I, I get it if we win against Wolves at the end of the quarters and everything like that. It's just it's not for me. I I honestly I, I wouldn't care unless it was against Wolves. Or if it was Birmingham City, or if it was West Brom, in this event it is against Wolves. So I mean, I I obviously want Villa to win and progress, but at the same point in time, like that's not where I think the focus should be whatsoever. Yeah, and I mean, you know, after the Wolves clash, we welcome Liverpool to Villa Park for um, our next Premier League showdown. And you know, Jurgen Klopp has Liverpool running like the well-oiled machine that they are. Um, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah, I think, have five goals apiece, and then uh, Roberto Firmino is right behind them with three. And that that front three of Liverpool is a world class uh, front three. You know, you can't deny it. I'm pretty sure all three of them are up for the Ballon d'Or this year. Um, and for for a lot of fans, it doesn't feel as positive as as it was going to Manchester City. You know, Liverpool are conceding. Um, you know, a, a decent amount in in games, but you know they don't have the defensive woes that City did. Um, and we, you know, everyone knows what Liverpool bring to the table on both sides of the pitch. You know, they've got a really strong defence with the likes of uh, Joel Matip or or Dejan Lovren and Virgil Van Dijk in the centre, or even Joe Gomez. And then the uh, the the fullbacks, who you know, everyone wants to model their fullbacks of Liverpool's fullbacks. Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. So what what were your hopes and expectations for this game, Mark? Uh, this is a big one for me, um, both personally and, and as an Aston Villa supporter. I've got, uh, I said in the last podcast, a lot of my friends that I watch football with over here are Liverpool supporters. Um, I have people coming in from out of town. I have people coming in from different states. I have friends of mine that I've worked with that we just can never get a game off that requested the day off to come watch this with me. So it's going to be a pretty big day for me. With that being said, don't get embarrassed. It's just like the city thing for me. Under now, it's now it's under a, a magnifying glass. Don't get embarrassed by Liverpool. If we lose three 0 to Liverpool, cool, awesome. Again, I want Aston Villa to win every single game possible. Um, and I, I'm not ruling Villa out at all when I say that. I think that Villa can definitely 
you know, get something from this, but it's going to have to be more the same of what they showed against City in terms of their counterattacking prowess. Uh, not so much on the defensive mental lapses, but I mean, hey, if the City result made these guys look at what they do and now they know how big teams operate in this league, who's to say that they don't apply what they've just learned, you know, previously in the week against Liverpool? And that's where my mind state is. Some say it's ignorantly positive and things of that nature, but hey, you just you just had a big test. You lost three new and, and you, you know, found out that you can't switch off even for a second. So... I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we can pull off an upset. Um, and, and again, just pull off an upset. Don't get embarrassed. Put in a good account of yourself. And that's that's what I think that Villa's going to do against uh, Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, you know, a- any kind of points would be very much welcomed against Liverpool. But, you know, the odds of that happening are, are very unlikely. But it's football, it's the Premier League, and anything can happen. Um, I think you've got a message about the next uh, North American Lions meetup, haven't you? I do. I got to send a big congratulations to my buddy Brett Bates up there in Toronto. Uh, him and the rest of the Toronto Lions just won to be the location of the 2020 North American Lions meetup. The dates for this are not confirmed yet, but uh, trust me, me and Regan will get those out in our socials and on the podcast whenever we have them. Um, as always, this kind of thing is not exclusive to North Americans. You can We have people coming in from all over the world. When I went to New York a couple years ago, there were people from Bahrain that were there. Absolutely amazing support. This is a really fun time. We take over a city for a weekend. We do fun things. It's not just all about the villa. We tour the city, do all kind of things. If you're an avid listener to the podcast, you will know that I, I've talked about this before. But yeah, congratulations to Brett. It's going to be such a fun time. I can't wait to get up there to Toronto. Yeah, it does sound like it'll be a, a great weekend. I know you often share pictures and tales with me, and uh, you know I am very jealous that, that you get to experience that. Um, as well as this, there was uh, something about Project B6 as well, our friends over at Project B6. Uh, yeah, so Project B6... Uh they're starting to do something that us American supporters have been, have been wishing for for a long time. You're now able to go through Project B6 and order merchandise from them, and it can actually be shipped to the United States. Uh, this is for the United States and Australia, so if we have any Aussies that listen as well, you can now purchase that stuff. Um, yeah, Project B6, just go ahead and type it into your uh, Twitter profile. You can find it. It goes through a big cartel page, and what that means is that it's it's an actual like online store. Um, so you'll find the link for it. If you can't find the link for it, don't hesitate to reach out to you know, one of us or, or the Under a Gaslit Lamp Twitter page or however you want to do it. We'll get you hooked up with all that information. Um, they actually just released a really cool Marvelous Nakamba shirt today. Um, you'll obviously see it by the time this podcast comes out. But yeah, we love Project B6. And um, yeah, yeah, check out some of their stuff. If you're an American or an Aussie, you can now get their uh, their merchandise. And finally, uh, the, the whole musical competition between ourselves. I forgot to post the poll uh, for, the, for the last podcast, so we're not going to have any recommendations this week, and we'll use the ones from last week, and, and I'll make sure to put the poll under uh, the actual podcast announcement this week. Um, other than that, I think that's probably the best place to end this podcast. Uh, thank you, as ever, for listening. Um, we've I noticed the other day we've picked up a, a fair few reviews on Apple uh, Podcasts. Um, yeah, so if you do enjoy it, please give us a, you know a like, a subscribe, a rating on whatever platform that you're listening on. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Instagram at Under a Gaslit Lamp. And on Facebook, forward slash under a gaslit lamp. And you can keep up to date with all the latest news, opinion, and everything else on www.underagaslitlamp.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa.